Welcome. My name is uh, John Gruber. I'm an elder here at Missio Day. It's great to see you on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, this is a day that is my favorite day of the year. It's better than my birthday. It's better than my anniversary. Sorry, babe. But you know. All right. It's better than Christmas with the grandkids. Um, and you know how I love my grandkids. So welcome, and uh, I'm going to try to be as brief as possible. I do want to say this. I don't know if there's any blankets left in the back, but if you want one, go ahead and just get up and get one. Um, and uh, I'm going to try to get us through this little cold morning. Um, but uh, it's funny, I was looking at the temperate zone in Israel. It's pretty much like we go through here with the seasons. Uh, maybe just a tad warmer. But I wonder what Mary, um, how she had to bundle up to go to the tomb to see it empty. Um, as we dive in this morning, today's title of our sermon is Easter According to John. My name is John, but it's not according to me. I'm going to be uh, speaking through some of uh, uh, what we know about the gospel writer, John, the disciple, the apostle, the guy who was exiled in his old age to an island of Patmos uh, for what he believed about Jesus Christ. So we're going to be looking at the resurrection through the eyes of John. Uh, we're going to be reading several passages. The first passage that we're going to read through is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 19. Rob's going to make his way forward now to read that for us, so you could turn there. And uh, I don't know if we could see it on the screen, but it is up on the screen uh, if you would like to follow along. I thank you for coming this morning, and uh, I pray uh, now, before Rob reads, I'd like to just bow our heads to the Lord God Almighty, and let's dedicate these next few minutes to worship in Him through His Word. Father God, we are so thankful for your, uh, for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the resurrection, for the fact that life is possible and hope is possible. Eternal life hinges on the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And as we look at uh, your scriptures today, and we actually read the words of one who was there, the disciple, the apostle whom, uh, whom Jesus loved, the eyes of John as he writes for us, the account of the resurrection. So, Father, I just pray that you enlighten our hearts. Your spirit work, I pray, in our hearts to illuminate them to who you are and the realities of this life according to you. So, Father, uh, we thank you for this time and we give it to you. We invite you into it to have your way with us that we might know you better and serve you and worship you from hearts of love. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Now Christ, sorry. now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith, your, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul tells the Corinthians that everything in essence falls on this one fact resurrection. Is it real? Is it not real? Is it something that we should believe? Is it something that is not part of our human experience? 
Paul goes to the degree to say that, you know what, as Christians, if we preach Jesus raised from the dead and we don't really believe in resurrection, we are hypocrites. And he also goes on to say that if we, um, that if the resurrection is not true, then what we say and what we represent is a lie. I want to tell you today that I believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be true. I believe that resurrection is true, and I want today to kind of look at, not kind of, I want to look at the resurrection and the fact that life after we die is possible through one man who experienced the life, the horrible death, the resurrection, and meeting this resurrected one after uh, after the tomb. I want you to look through the eyes of John today and see that the resurrection did happen. Now, why is the resurrection so important to us as Christians? Um, today is probably the day, uh, the one day in America at least, where churches are packed. People understand that the resurrection and Easter as we know it is important, at least important enough to get up, put on good clothes, and go to church. But I want to try to make it a little more than that today. So I recognize that for Christians who come, we come because we know it's important. I also want to recognize that you may come today and not really believe in the resurrection, but you know it's important. So to you, I, I have challenges. And then you may come today and say, you know what? Whoa, no way. The resurrection is too far-fetched. It's not in my human experience because I've never met a resurrected one. I would like to challenge you today and introduce you to at least one person that we know to be resurrected. So I, I recognize that we come with different ideas of the resurrection. For Christian, the basis of what we believe, the theologies that are behind what we believe God's Word to say, hinge on the fact that life is possible after death. In that idea of resurrection, we understand um, that resurrection needs a power to take something as horrible as the end of life and breathe back into it. So God's omnipotence or his power is at play. God's wisdom is at play in the resurrection because we see as we look at the scriptures that there is a theme that runs through the Bible. It is one of redemption, and we find the culmination of that redemption in the fact that Jesus Christ was crucified and that he rose again. The theologies that Christian hold is actually, those theologies swing on the hinge pin of the resurrection. It is important to us as Christians. But is that enough for a skeptic to believe? Well, uh, also in, in the beliefs of, of what we believe as Christians, uh, it, we find the scriptures to be rife with ideas and principles and ways that actually speak into our human lives. Perhaps better than any other religion in the world today, we find that the scriptures breathe life into our struggles, gives meaning and hope to us as human beings. It is part of our fabric, and the scriptures, through the fact of the resurrection, give us hope. Now, okay, that's what we Christians believe, and maybe you're here and you say, that's fine for you, 
and I'll tolerate that, but it's not fine for me. But I also want to let you know that historians and scholars look back to this historical event and find that there is a tenacity um, about this event that is, um, that is very hard to say it didn't happen. Within a decade of the, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, things were being written by his disciples about the facts of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. This, historically speaking, gives evidence and bears a ton of weight that the events that were described by the Gospel writers, by the writer Paul of the New Testament, actually did happen. So I can historically say that there is evidences that prove that the resurrection took place. There are over 5,000 manuscripts that lend itself to the Gospels and to the early writings. And of those 5,000 early writings, 99.5% of them actually correlate perfectly. Again, this is phenomenal, historically speaking, with evidences. Uh, I want to go on to say this, that Alexander the Great, we know more about Jesus Christ because of the 5,000 manuscripts we have than we do about Alexander the Great. Yet in history class, you probably learned about Alexander the Great, didn't you? Did you know that those writings about Alexander the Great came three and a half centuries after he was dead? Okay? But yet you know things about Alexander the Great. And I would say that those facts that you do know, I, I, I've forgotten them, but, but the idea is that, you know what, Alexander lived, he did things. And in history classes, we sit and we learn about great historical figures, and we have less that is written about them and from a more distant time frame than we do about Jesus Christ. Now, why is this important? I just want to say this, that if I'm going to postulate that the resurrection is true, I need you to know that it's not just a Christian thing. I need, to know, I need you to know that historically, I have evidences that I think lend itself to an ironclad um, case that Jesus rose from the dead. The writings happen so close to the resurrection of Jesus that they could be refuted time and time again. People could say, I was alive, I didn't see that happen, but we don't have that. We don't have any refutations about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, from the gospel writers or from Paul. Um, why is that? It's because people were alive who saw the risen Jesus Christ. Scriptures even say that over 500 people at one time saw him. Well, what do you do with that evidence? We as Americans and skeptics say, well, you know what, that happened so far in the past that we really can't go there. It's still open for debate. And while that might be true, you and I weren't there. Historically speaking, we have to lend credence to the facts that no one refuted it. Beyond that, there are names in the scriptures that are used. Malchus, who had his ear cut off by Peter the night that Jesus was betrayed. Why is his name in the Bible? Because when it was written down, he was still alive. If you don't believe me, Luke says, go ask Malchus. And ask him if this is a lie. There's other names. Annas, Caiaphas, Pilate. The, the Simon the Cyrene, do you know who he was? He was a guy that they pulled out of the crowd and carried the cross. Go ask him. He's alive. He'll tell you. And we don't have that refu the refuting of these stories even back. 
during the time of these writings. So yes, I can place my weight on the scriptures that they are true. And when I say the resurrection happened, it would happen because there was, there was eyewitness accounts. So let's look at one eyewitness account. Let's take a look at John. Now, all of this is said to say this, that, that you by faith need to do something about the resurrection. The resurrection is a yes or no. And this issue of do I believe in resurrection, life after death, do I believe that I can live again, is not a new subject. It happened back in Paul's day. He writes to the Corinthians and says, listen, some of you don't believe the resurrection. I'm going to set you straight. If you don't, this is, this is what the outcome is. <laughs> if you do, this is what the outcome is. We don't, we don't sit here today and say, wow, resurrection, I've never thought about that before. This is, this is one of the biggies. This is, this is one of the things you need to wrestle with in your heart. I want to lead you there th- through these thoughts. Now you can say, I believe it, but not in its entirety. I, I, I believe Jesus, but I believe he was a good man. But I want you to let, to let you know that those types of thoughts are not actually accurate and actually speak into the fact that possibly you need to do some more homework to know who Jesus was. Jesus doesn't leave it open for us to consider who he was. Okay, we have to do something about the resurrection. We have to do something about who Jesus was. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian thinker and apologetist, apologeticist, yeah, Rob will, Rob will tell you, who could defend and think through and express himself. We get the Chronicles of Narnia from him, okay? Uh, but we also get other really good writings. In his book, Mere Christianity, he says it this way. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing, he says, that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would, need, he would either be a lunatic on the level with a man that says, I'm a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something even worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He, he has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I think C.S. Lewis has it right. You must do something with Jesus Christ. You must do something about the resurrection. I want to bring us to understand the person of John, the gospel writer. John came to Jesus when Jesus was gathering his disciples, and you can read about the, his, his coming to Christ and following him. He was a fisherman, okay, much like Peter and Andrew. He had a brother, James. Jesus gave him the nickname uh, of him and his brother, Sons of Thunder. Now, I have no idea what that means, and we don't know what it refers to. Um, it may, perhaps it was uh, some sort of, of really kind of edifying, encouraging thing. Um, the cynical side of me says it's probably Jesus was maybe busting on him a little bit. 
saying that, you know what, you're all flash and sound, but maybe, uh, maybe there's no substance to you. I don't know. But what we do know this is we read the Gospels, especially the Gospel that John wrote, we find an affection from John to Jesus like we see in no other disciple. To the degree that John actually writes this about himself. He never names himself in the Gospel. His first-hand account, he always puts this when he refers to himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, why that might sound pompous to us and might sound like he elevates himself, I think it's true. I think John, when he writes the gospel, actually remembers fondly and deeply his relationship as friend of Jesus Christ. John is special in that regard, and we get to see John's writing not only in his gospel, but in four other books, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the last book of the scriptures, the book of Revelation. So we can glean a lot about this person, John. So as we, as we move forward, uh, I want us to, to put the context of the resurrection in something that we maybe can grasp, okay? Um, have you seen the movie Frozen yet? Okay, let me ask this. If you haven't seen Frozen, raise your hand. All right, okay. Really, go see Frozen for, for no other reason than I'm going to reference it here today, okay? All right, but for those of you who have seen Frozen, has anybody seen Frozen more than five times? Yeah, Robert, Rob, okay, yeah. All right. <laughs> we have grandkids. Pat bought it the other day. Anyway, so I'm thinking, you know, what is it about the Disney movies that kind of endear themselves to us? Now, there's some really things in Disney movies. I'm not a proponent for Disney movies. But there are some themes, if you think about it, that kind of latch onto our minds and our hearts, if you think about it. Beauty and the Beast, the end of the story, right? The last petal falls, and the beast is dead, right? And what happens after that? End of story, right? What happens? What happens? He comes back to life. What is that called when something is dead and it comes back to life? It's called resurrection, isn't it? Right? Okay, Nemo. All right, finding Nemo. Well, where's the resurrection in that? The dad swims off, right? And he's swimming with the halibut, or whatever they are, cod, okay? Uh, the big, all right, Dory's there left alone. She's panicking, and Nemo shows up, right? Well, the dad thinks Nemo's dead, gone, right? Okay, and all of a sudden, you know, Nemo says his name to Dory, right? And then all the flashing of the whole movie in like 10 seconds, boom, 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 all right? And she says, Nemo! All right, something was lost and dead has come back to life in the resurrection of dad and son, all right? Resurrection is even, a th my point is this, resurrection is even a theme in Disney movies, and we don't understand it, okay, but it's there. We internally are made in the image of God, whether you believe in him or not. I believe it to be true that we, human beings, are image bearers of God, and as such, there are things that are common to us, and the desire for life, the desire to understand life, is one of those threads. I believe God to be the person who gives us life and breathes life, and therefore it's important to us. And that is a little background to say that we are common when it comes to the idea of resurrection. I'm going to call Mike and Jesse up to introduce to us the person of John. We're going to be reading from John chapter 20. This is Resurrection Sunday. This is John interacting with an empty tomb. This is John interacting with Jesus Christ resurrected. Okay, I'm reading John 20, verses 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene 
came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord from the tomb and we do not know where they have put him. Then Peter and the other disciple went out and were going to the tomb. And the two were coming together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And bending over to look, he saw the strips of linen cloth lying there, though he did not go in. Then Simon Peter also came following him, and he went into the tomb and saw the strips of linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth that was on his head, not lying with the strips of linen cloth, but folded up separately in one place. So then the other disciple, who had come to the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For they did not yet know the scripture that it was necessary for him to raise from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. I'm picking up at verse 19. Uh, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Thank you. Two accounts on Resurrection Sunday. One at an empty tomb. The other, the night, gathered with his, his fellow disciples, John, and the other, uh, the other ten, in a room, scared to death. <clears throat> what can we glean from this? What do we understand about John's understanding of the resurrection? How did it change him? What did he do? What was he like? I just want to t spend a brief time. Um, did, G did, did John change when he saw the resurrection? I want you to think of John. He came from a fisherman. He followed his dad, who had the boat. Um, you ever see, what is, what's that crabbing show in Alaska? A Deadliest Catch or whatever? You know, families are, you know, father needs to give the boat over to the son. There's a lot of drama and things as he takes captainhood of it. All right? That's what John was, a career fisherman. Okay? But we see, we see now no more fishermen. I want you to think about it. We see follower of, of, of Jesus, friend of Jesus, really cool relationship with Jesus Christ. Friday, he's dead. What does he do now? What does he think? What is going on in his mind and his heart? The friend I had is gone. He is no more. I gave up everything for him. I loved him and he's gone. He runs to a tomb. He looks in. Peter dashes by him out of breath and they see no Jesus. They see linen cloths. They see the napkin that covered his face folded up in a different place. But no Jesus. And then John comes in behind Peter and sees it, and the light goes on. And we see that John believed. It made sense. And just like that little flashback that Dory had in Nemo, where the whole movie, boom, 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 you, know, you know, scenes from every part of the movie flashed off, John got it. Oh, this is what Jesus meant when he said it. 
this temple will be destroyed and three days later it'll be rebuilt. He gets it. He understood. And it changes John. Historically speaking, we know John to be a leader of the church in Jerusalem after this. In the book of Acts, he's one of those elders. We also see him writing the Gospels. We see him end up late in life, exiled on Patmos as an old man. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But this is John. He was there. Remember I said, you know, the tenacity of the Gospels is something that we can, we can lean on as evidence. We have something even better. Not only do we have all of these writings, we have a person who was actually there that we can read about who interacted with Jesus Christ. How does the resurrection of Jesus Christ outside of John impact us? Well, I want to say, historically speaking, the resurrection has, has charted a course in history for better or for worse. Okay? The Crusades happened. And they happened, if you back it up, those horrible crusades done in the name of the church, okay, were, were partly because the belief of the resurrection. We say, how can that horror be in life? It's because man has taken something that God has given us in the resurrection. And man has dominated it. And whenever man does that, things go bad. I just say that to say this, that you know what? Christianity is full of stories that you can hang on to and say, see, that's wrong. See, that's wrong. See, that's wrong. But I'm going to tell you, the resurrection, when you understand it fully, is right. And when you understand it rightly, right things come out of it. That's what I want you to see in John. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, his friend, changed him. It changed him so deeply that he was willing to give his life for the cause and the mission of Jesus Christ. So did it change, John? Yes, it did. Has it impacted history for us? Yes, we do. We look back and we see where the resurrection does have implications culturally and historically. But how should it change me? What's my part in the understanding that the resurrection is possible and Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead? Now, you may come here today and you say, I traditionally go to church on Easter and I know that I can explain that Jesus from the scriptures, lived, died, buried, and rose again. But that's not what I'm talking about when I say, how has the resurrection changed you? What I mean to say is, what does it mean in your heart, in the, very, in the essence of who you are, the real you? What, how has resurrection latched on to your heart? How has it changed you? You can tell me about Easter. You can tell me about the historical meaning of Easter. Where do we get the word from Easter? I read something this week that Easter, the word Easter doesn't come from anything. It comes from this this Babylonian uh, Greek deity, Ishtar. And uh, a whole line of thinking about where our word Easter comes from actually doesn't base itself on anything Christian or religious. It comes from a deity. Now, the article I was reading was telling how preposterous that was, but... Even Easter itself is open for debate of how and where the word came from. And you can maybe explain that to me, but in the long run, I say, and so, what about the resurrection? You know, we come to Easter with family traditions, don't we? This is our second year we meet outside, so I guess this is a traditional thing we at Monsieur Day do. We sit outside and freeze and hear about the resurrection, <laughs> okay? And then we go upstairs, and you're all invited to brunch afterwards, okay? And it's there's a lot of hot food up there, so I suggest coming up, at least getting hot food in you, okay? So, but we have family traditions. Easter egg hunts. 
Okay, um, the Easter bunny pictures, things like that. Culturally, we can come and say Easter is about, yeah, it's about this resurrection thing, and it's also about family time. But not so for John. Believing the resurrection of Jesus Christ was something more than that for John. I want to go to the end of John's story, and we're almost done. And then I want to challenge you. I'm going to call Julie up. She's going to read from us from the book, the last book that's written in our canon of scriptures. It's the book of Revelation. John wrote this. John wrote this when he was old. And I'm going to use it as a stepping stone for us to understand the meaning and the depth of the change that John had because of the resurrection. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on the account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and Smyrna, to Paragon and Thyatira, to Sardius and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a sun of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs on his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. The book of Revelation is open for a lot of discussion among scholars. And it's not my intent today to say that Revelation means this or means that. It's my intention today to bring out the person who wrote this and in circumstances surrounding the writings of the book of Revelation. John wrote the book of Revelation. And I want to back the train up a little bit more and talk about John. John the old fisherman. John who saw Jesus dead, saw an empty tomb, saw him that very evening in a room showing his hands and his, his feet. That's the John that wrote this. John who was on the Mount of Transfiguration, who saw Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah. And we read here in Revelation where John hears a voice say, write these things down. And he turns around and hears that thunderous voice. And he looks and he sees a shining face and white hair. And while we think that's very, very strange, John has seen this before. And John knows full well who he's talking to. For he saw Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration talking to Jesus. And if you look in your Old Testament, we know that Moses had an encounter with God. Do you remember the story of Moses up on, up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments? That, that, that story? Do you remember one time Moses went up into the mountain and he said, I want to see you, God? And God said, no, no, no. No one sees me and lives. But I'll tell you what, you can see the back of me as I pass by. I'll put you in a rock and I'm going to walk by. 
And Moses sees just a glimpse of God. And he comes down. And you remember what the people said? You look weird. (laughs) Your hair is all white and your face is like shining. To the degree that it was so distracting, he had to put a veil over him. That's the Moses that John sees talking to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So I don't think John was all that surprised at how Jesus looked when he turns and sees who's behind the voice. And he sees the Son of Man. And John's reaction to this encounter with Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, is that he falls down, as it were, dead. And this is a typical response to people when they say, see Jesus Christ. Go back to the garden. Go back to where Judas betrayed Jesus. They come for Jesus. They say, we're looking for this man. And Jesus said, I am he. And what do they do? They fall down as dead. John knows who he's talking to. At the very end of John's life, he writes the book of Revelation, and we see his encounter with Jesus Christ. It is real to him. It is meaningful. It is deep. And you need to do something with the resurrection. For you who claim to be Christians who put your faith in Jesus Christ, I would, let you say, I, would, I would challenge you to say this. Please let the resurrection settle in your heart again. Don't wake up tomorrow without it. It changes everything. We have hope. The essence of our faith is bound in the fact that Jesus is not dead. Let that hold you. Let that embrace you. Abide in that fact and be encouraged. We have our eternal hope because resurrection is possible. We know it is possible because John had a hand put on his shoulder when he heard the voice and turned. The right hand of Jesus Christ says, Listen, I'm your friend. I'm the one who loved you. I'm the one who was dead and is now alive. Let that encourage your heart. That is the same Jesus whom your faith can be placed in. You may have come today and said, you know what, I don't want anything to do with it, but Easter is a cool day. I know I have to do something religious, so I'm here. I know I have to do something to respond because everyone else does it, or most of my friends or family does. And to you, I want to challenge this. Go home today and ponder, do I believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is real or not? Think about what it means. Think about the implications. No, I don't believe it means things. Saying yes, it is real, actually has implications that will impact you for eternity. I want you to ponder that as well. It is serious stuff. Your faith is always in something. I challenge you to put it in Jesus Christ and the fact that he is resurrected. And then there may be some of you today that says, you know what, I had no idea what to believe. Okay, fair enough. I don't know what the implications are about what I believe, but I need to seek more. I invite you to dialogue with me or someone else from Missio Day, But don't just set it on a shelf because it will hang there and it will nag at you. So you need to do something with what we're talking about today with Resurrection Sunday. With this, I'll call the musicians up as we sing a song in response. I thank you for uh, not freezing um, beyond the point of being able to like uh, be coherent. Most of you stayed asleep. I mean, most of you stayed awake. <laughs> I didn't see anybody nod off, but uh, thank you very much.
I want to challenge you this way. Christians, let's live life in eternal hope for Jesus Christ because he is raised from the dead. Today is a day that we celebrate and joy, and it means good things. <laughs> you just never know what's going to happen. For you who don't know Jesus Christ, I really seriously invite you to consider the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead. And if he is raised from the dead, he is truly the person he said he was. And he is trustworthy. And you can place your faith in him for eternal life and for hope now. And for you who just don't know, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. And I think you'll find hope in the scriptures.